Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Song Lit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. And I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So Lit, So Lit, reimagining the repertoire. Today we are talking about Lily Boulanger, and we'd like to introduce her set of songs entitled Clairier dans le ciel. And I'm going to go straight off on a tangent here, because I feel like you can't talk about Lily Boulanger without talking about her sister, Nadia Boulanger. True, true. Right? To give a sort of sense of timing, both of them were born at the very end of the 1800s. I think uh, Nadia was born in the 1880s. Lily was born in like 1893 or something like that. So they were right there at the turn of the century. And Nadia was the older child. Lily was very sickly as, as a young child. When she was two, she became very ill with some kind of bronchitis or pneumonia. And then at the age of three, she was diagnosed with what now we would call Crohn's disease. So she spent her childhood being quite ill and their father charged Nadia with keeping, like taking care of her little sister. So Nadia really always did that and really, really cared for her sister. Nadia went on to become the absolute most important composition teacher that we've ever seen in the world, which is super cool. There's a Wikipedia page with composers and their teachers listed. And, you know, you see like Salieri is listed and you see a couple of his students and you might see a Haydn and a Mozart under Salieri. Everybody has like two or three students, maybe five or six. Nadia has like a hundred. Wow. So Nadia is like the goat. Really? She is definitely the goat. <laughs> and when you when you see her, the names of her students like Samuel Barber, uh, Daniel Pinkham, what? Um, oh, yeah. Aaron Copeland studied with her for a time. Like all of these composers have such their own voice. When you think about American composers, none of them sound like each other. Well, that's what's so in interesting is because <laughs> you just don't equate American composers and also the time frame. Like I'm, I also think of like Puccini as being this super old guy from a long time ago but like he's quite modern you know so right. that's also another thing that is surprising to me when you're listing these people that study with her that's amazing right and piazzola the tango composer from argentina was one of her students there's a polish woman who wrote lots of great polish art songs named grazina basowicz hmm. i'm probably butchering her name 
because <laughs> I don't know the rules of, of Polish orthography, but gorgeous art songs. And all of them sound completely different from each other. Wow. She was an amazing, amazing teacher. So Nadia has completely shaped our uh, music history, as it were, because of her teaching. Absolutely. And she rubbed off on her younger sister. She really did, in more ways than one, because she started studying music at the Conservatoire, and Lily would go along to her lessons whenever she was feeling healthy enough and needed some place to go. Mm. So Lily would sit and listen in on all of Nadia's classes and all of Nadia's lessons, and apparently Lily would pick up everything in a few months that would take Nadia a few years to learn. Oh, ouch. (laughs) So Lily was definitely a prodigy and was definitely amazing. Nadia at some point uh, did the Grand Prix de Rome, I think twice, and she ended up in the finals the first time. She ended up taking second prize the second time she did it. Mm. Lily ended up winning. Oh, man. She was the youngest, I believe the youngest person and also a woman to win the Grand Prix de Rome. Amazing. That is, and it's very evident in her, in her writing, because her music is incredible, incredible. It it really is. It is so, it's so sumptuous and it's Mm -hmm. so different from everything else at the time. I mean, she just has her own voice. Absolutely. That's a great, great description. I really feel like, and and I know that this is very much a description of like the impressionistic style, but it very much feels like a um, a note painting, you know, the, yeah, the melodies and the chord structure and the harmony, it just, it, it just paints this beautiful picture. That's why I, I fell in love with this music. Before I finish this out, I just want to say she doesn't have a lot of extant music because she died very young. She was very sickly and she died in her early 20s. So we don't have a whole lot of music from her, but what we have is well worth digging into. Here, here. And I know that you and I have done some of the Clairière dans le ciel together. Talk to me about your impressions of this set. I feel like her music right from the beginning gives you a mood immediately. The chords that she uses, the the harmonics of it, it's very impressionistic sounding, like what you would, or at least what I love about French chanson, that, you know, you you get that impressionistic feeling like a painting. And uh, her words are also very poetic and give you that dreamlike impressionistic state that I absolutely love. Yeah, I for me it's the chords. The chords are so I'm not gonna say esoteric, if mm. that makes sense. Sure. Even in the very first song, there are a couple of chords in the very last measure, right on that page turn, where the piano has chords that are super, super huge and are intended to be completely rolled. And she has over the vocal line, ritardando, Mm. which means we both have to give each other time for you to sing the 16th notes, for me to make these huge leaps of the chords, and they're all then an octave higher every time it comes in. And that's what's so great about the vocal line, is that you feel very supported through what's happening in the piano, but also the way that she writes the vocal line, it's very clear where you're taking off and where you're landing. You don't have to figure it out. It's written really well for you. Exactly. Then the second song, actually the first two songs are always done together, or they should always be done together. It says, 
you're supposed to connect the two. So whatever tempo you're in for the first one, you're kind of in for the second one as well. Mm -hmm. And in this one, I feel like the chord structure at the end is, again, so out there. But it paints this gorgeous picture. And then suddenly at the end, she's got... How do I say this? Actually, she has the piano stretching out in both directions. Mm. She has it going up in the right hand and going down in the left hand, almost to the absolute bottom of the piano, and then filling in with this really crazy chord that's kind of like E-flat 7-9 with a whole lot of other stuff mixed into it. Mm. And what a collaborative moment, too, because the voice is just holding this wonderful note while you are shining through, stretching in both directions. It's wonderfully written. song, I believe it's the fourth song in the set, the Un Poète Disait, is one of the faster ones. Mm. They're, they're actually, none of them are super fast, I don't think. No. But she has the piano doing a completely different motif. But is the, is the vocal line any different than, than in the other songs that we were talking about? It definitely has a lot more like a speech-like feeling to it. Um, the way that it's written really supports how many words you have to say in comparison to other songs where it's more, I don't want to say melodic because this is also melodic, but it, it just supports that um, more chatty type of um, feeling that, that you need to have in this piece. Mm -hmm. uh, and the movement in the piano also helps keep those lines moving so you don't get stuck trying yeah. to keep those lines moving. Yeah. And I feel like in that middle section, feeling it in that big two, Mm. is really important for the piano. You have a big, you have the, the basic, the high note. Mm. Um, you have the high note, and then you have these chords that fill it out. But the, the high note happens on every first and third beat of the measure. And I think that also can help the singer keep the movement going for themselves. Absolutely. And I also want to throw in there, too, as a singer, it reminds me of... Mozart in the sense of like you have to find a really perfect spot to sing them in and once you find that spot you're golden but it's a really great exercise for the singer to make sure you're not adding too much weight you're not adding too much depth you never let your voice fall because that's how you really succeed in these pieces is finding that spot and then just gliding through the vocal line.
So if we were going to compare this to any other composer, okay, I'm going to admit something. I went digging for some Lili Boulanger piano solo works to play in church because mm. I was asked to, to play special music at my church. Oh, that's cool. And I found a set called Trois Morceaux, and within the first four measures, she goes from C sharp minor, goes to G major with an F major chord over top of it, and then E flat minor to F major. And that's in the first four measures. It is super insane. <laughs> and so cool. And I, I remember talking with the, the organist at church and saying, so who do you think wrote that? And they said, nobody. I have absolutely no idea. So in comparing Lily Boulanger's music to other people, it's I find it very difficult because I would say the, the chords are sort of Debussyan. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the, the motives and the way she writes almost sort of classically is more foray. Yeah. But I don't know. Would you have somebody to compare it to? Yeah, I think that is a hard question because it is very unique and it, she has her own style, her yeah. own sound. Yeah. yeah. So if you're looking for something that's along those lines, mm -hmm. check out Lily Boulanger. Purchase information for this is pretty much anywhere you want to look on the internet. <laughs> if you type in Clairière dans le ciel and then write purchase, it will come up with a whole lot of options for you. We will put some in the show notes, but just so you know, this one is easily available. So what level of singer are we looking at for this cycle? Would Could a beginner sing this? Do we need somebody maybe more grad school to towards professional or advanced? Yeah, this I think requires you to understand your your voice a little bit more, especially keeping a poggio and, and all of that is really important. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think probably it would be really a little bit more difficult for a beginner to sing something like this, mm -hmm. even with the language too. I was thinking there's there are a few French words in there that I had to sit and decipher. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so we're looking more at towards maybe advanced undergraduate grad students definitely professionals. And are we thinking, would this, I feel like I've heard this from light, lighter sopranos as well. Could this work for lighter and heavier sopranos? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think a lighter voice would, would really do well in this repertoire. And I'm sort of like spinto, young dramatic, light dramatic. So I find them really nice to sing as well. Uh, it definitely took me a little while to find that spot like I was discussing earlier. But once you find it, then you're good. <laughs> Musical performances for this episode were performed by Tony Marie and Ellen and recorded at the Camp Recording Studio in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of the month. So Lit Songlit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? 
If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit.